Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to a special episode 63, a replay of episode 33, which was from Halloween 2019. I thought it'd be fun to replay a seasonal episode uh, and uh, release it for a Halloween weekend um, from someone who normally does not celebrate the holiday of Halloween, but I'm doing it for you. I hope you enjoy. Well, it's Halloween. You know, I've I've never really gotten into Halloween. I guess you could say I'm a Halloween Scrooge. But in the spirit of looking past the beliefs and stories I cling to and face the reality at hand, I decided to explore what I had dismissed as being silly and look at the lessons contained in the history and lore of Halloween from a Buddhist perspective. You know, looking at Halloween from a Buddhist perspective seems pretty obvious around death and ghosts and goblins and stuff, but there's got to be more to it. And and I needed to, to like sink myself into it so that I could say, well, maybe there's something here. So I just thought I'd share with you what I discovered. So we'll start talking about that after the usual bit of podcast housekeeping and announcements. So as I shared with you in the last couple of podcast episodes, I took a big step and retired from my career coaching business while I was still keeping my um, behavioral life and spiritual coaching practice. But I did this, I did the retirement from the career coaching business so that I could devote more time to this podcast, which sort of has to come in second sometimes. And also I ab- absolutely needed to make time for my upcoming book launch and the promotional activities to follow. And also to the Everyday Sangha, which has taken off and really seems to be a great place for people to land who don't have a Sangha near them or other ways to talk with others about, well, everyday Buddhism and, and other Dharma issues. So, but there's also, I figured other initiatives will, that'll spring from, uh, the book and making more time for this podcast. So it's a new and exciting phase. I have a lot of ideas spinning around in my head about ways to bring all of you more everyday Buddhism stuff, It will require more energy from me and more support from you to make it work. I hope you will consider becoming a supporter to help me release more content more often and also explore other channels or platforms. To become a sponsor of this podcast and set up a recurring or one-time donation, just go to the donate tab on my website, www.everyday-buddhism.com to be a supporter of everything Everyday Buddhism will hopefully grow to be. And don't forget, 
If you'd like to talk with me and others about these podcast episodes and everyday Buddhism subjects, consider joining the Everyday Buddhism Sangha. It meets live via Zoom video conference every other week on Thursday evenings, and the details to join are on the main page of my website. Now, my book, which now has an official name, Everyday Buddhism, Real Life Teachings and Lessons for Real Change. It's getting very close, very, very close to publication. The editing is done, the cover is designed, and we're in the process of finalizing ebook and paperback book formatting. I've shared the review version with a few reviewers, and I'm waiting for the reviews to come in so we can finish packaging it all up. And I can't wait to share the result of the last 10 months of my hard work with all of you, which hopefully will be in about two weeks. And when I do release the book, I will announce the release in a special podcast episode offering a limited time book promotion for podcast listeners. Enough of the housekeeping. Now it's time to start talking about the topic of this episode, Halloween through an everyday Buddhism lens. As you know, from listening to almost any one of these podcast episodes, seeing life as it is, rather than what you want it to be, is both a practice and the benefit of the practice. Benefit of the practices of awareness, acceptance, and appreciation, which are the cornerstones of the Buddha's Four Noble Truths, And it's also the structure I use for the book. So I have been reflecting on Halloween, as I said, the last few days. And let's share what I've been thinking about. I think I have a newfound appreciation for Halloween as a significant Buddhist holiday or reflection day. I won't be talking about the commercialization that Halloween and every other holiday has become, but more about some of the history around Halloween and how the beliefs, observances, and celebration can be used as a focus for reflection on Buddhist themes, particularly looking at what scares you or looking at what you don't want to look at and thinking about the disguises or masks you wear. The first thing I did in preparing for this podcast was to research the origins of Halloween traditions and celebrations, some of which I sort of knew or remembered, but much of what I learned, again, maybe if I forgot, caused me to see things in a new way. You know, as is the case, as you know, every situation, everything has contributing causes and conditions that aren't always obvious to see. So to dispel my judgment of Halloween as being a silly holiday for adults to participate in and only a fun thing or holiday for kids to play dress up and get candy, I did a little more research and did a lot of reflection. The word Halloween derived from Hallow's Evening, also known as All Halloween, or All Hallows' Eve, or also All Saints' Eve. 
It's a celebration observed, of course, on October 31st, which is the eve of the Western Christian Fest feast of All Hallows Day. It begins the three-day observance in the Christian liturgical year of All Hallow Tide, which is an observance dedicated to remembering the dead, including saints and martyrs. And by the way, that word hallows, H-A-L-L-O-W-S, means an honored person or a saint or a holy person. Many believe, though, that Halloween did not originate as a Christian holiday, but instead was adopted and repackaged as a Christian holiday, as many Western holidays are, repackaged from ancient pagan celebrations to correspond to the Christianity the church wanted to present. In the case of Halloween, it is believed to come from the the pagan sense of things, from Celtic harvest festivals. In particular, the Gaelic festival of Soan, which is spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, Soan. Looking at the Celtic tradition of celebrating seasonal changes, it is firmly re- rooted in how they use seasons as a metaphor, a metaphor for the death and rebirth of a human being, which sort of makes sense, doesn't it? Halloween represented the death of the old year, and it was believed to be the time of year when the veil separating the human and ghost realms was at its thinnest. So looking at it that way, one everyday Buddhism aspect of reflecting on Halloween is, of course, a meditation on death. And death can definitely be a thing that scares us and that we hide from and that we try to deny or escape. The thing that probably we most try to deny, escape, or hide from in all of life. Yet, it's a sure thing. Like it's said, the cause of death is birth. You know, meditating on death is a traditional Buddhist practice. I'll review a bit about how I've already talked about this in episode 24 of this podcast called Appreciating Life Through Death Meditation. As a review, in the Satipatthana Sutra, um, and I probably pronounced that, mispronounced that from the Pali Canon, it goes into the not-so-pleasant detail about meditating on corpses and charnel grounds in ancient India, describing the stages and the various stages of decomposition that you would observe when bodies die. The sutra describes it as, quote, a corpse thrown aside in a charnel ground, one, two, or three days dead, bloated, livid, and oozing matter being devoured by crows, hawks, vultures, dogs, jackals, or various kinds of worms, eventually turning into bones rotten and crumbling to dust. On observing this, the monk reminds himself that this body, too, is of the same nature to die. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate." Unquote. You know, so these specific descriptions of oozing matter, corpses devoured by worms, boy, is that not a Halloween theme if we ever had one, right? Now, 
and that's not, I'm not trying to be morbid here, or I'm not trying to make it a spooky, ugly Halloween kind of thing, but it certainly is the stuff of scary Halloween stories, isn't it? Yet, death meditation can be particularly helpful in our culture. So Halloween could be thought of as a time to pause and think about those things. You know, dying and death is kept outside and away from our daily lives in most cases in this culture. Many of us have not observed someone dying, not even a loved one. Of course, we all have experienced the death of a loved one in our lives, but most of, many of us have not been there when it's happening. It's been kept away from us. But meditating or just thinking about death, ours or the death of those around us, can help us live more fully. Reflecting on death can help us remember that things we find attractive or desirable, the quote, shiny on the outside, but on the inside are pitiful, as the Stoic philosopher Seneca put it. Remembering this helps put things in perspective. And as I always say, everything is about perspective. Soon we may not be around to grasp the, quote, shiny things. And this helps us develop a sense of equanimity about all the different things and circumstances that happen in our lives. You know, it's, it's like what I, one of my mantras is in the grand scheme, how important is this really? If you put everything in that perspective of death, it tends to boil it down to in the grand scheme, how important is this really? There are very few important things except caring for the people around us, loving them, being there to help them, and having being an active participant in life as it is. But, you know, this death meditation stuff, I mean, you don't want to, it's not for everyone. Thinking about death can scare the scare people to the point that it makes them unproductive and fearful and full of anxiety. So if thinking about death elicits that kind of great fear or aversion in you and not that sense of equanimity that I'm talking about, then it's probably best to just stick with mindfulness meditation. Yet we always got to remember we can go too far the other way. Not thinking about it at all because of our fear of death is a denial Meditation on death can make us appreciate life more. When we remember our time is limited or even short, our perspective changes radically. It's that, how important is this really? And we've probably all experienced this in those days after, you know, feeling good after, you know, four or five, two, three, four or five days of the flu in bed. Or those first few days of walking without a cast. Or during the hours and days following a natural disaster in our neighborhood. Or any of those things. It's like, wow, life is beautiful and we take it for granted. You know, it's pain, sadness, grief. But then the crystal clear realization of how beautiful life really is. How beautiful everyone around us is. And how grateful we are to have them. We stop a little quicker when we're about to get angry with our children, spouse, co-worker, or neighbor. Halloween can be a time to do this. We can make it a ritual for ourselves. Even if we do like to participate in the costumes and masquerades and, 
any of that stuff, if you take some time to meditate during that Halloween season, as 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 the season of death comes upon us, then we can think about death and appreciate, and it helps us appreciate life. But back to the Celtic tradition, Halloween, like I said, represented the death of the old year. It was believed to be that time when there was that thin veil and the ghosts were hanging out with us, or we could maybe see them. The winter solstice then was considered the time of conception for the coming year, the the year to come. And on February 1st, the Celts celebrated Imbolc as the actual birth of the new year. So February 1st, Imbolc marked the halfway point between winter solstice and the spring equinox. This period between the winter solstice and the spring equinox was the time of gestation when the new animal and plant life, though all it, although it was growing and, and stirring, was still hidden in the body of its mother. Or in the case of vegetation in the winter and the early spring, within the body of Mother Earth. Now, the interesting Buddhist aspect of all of this, of this ancient Celtic period of seven weeks between Halloween and the winter solstice, corresponds to the 49 days of the bardo, which is the Tibetan term meaning an in-between state. In the Tibetan belief system, the bardo is considered to be the in-between existence between two lives on earth. When one's consciousness is not connected with a physical body, but one experiences a variety of phenomena or apparitions, including ghosts and demons that come from the mind or the awareness. According to these beliefs, if the mind reacts with panic, then a samsara rebirth possibly in even unpleasant realms, is inevitable. However, the belief goes that if that in-between being or that in-between mind or person in the bardo recognizes these apparitions as hallucinations or projections of his own negative karma resulting from his own actions, then therefore liberation from samsara remains possible. Now, in this Tibetan Buddhist approach, there are some very scary looking creatures you may find on tankas hanging on the walls of Tibetan Buddhist Dharma centers. These are so-called the wrathful deities in Vajrayana or tantric Buddhist practice. Now, wrathful deities in Buddhism can be terrifying, monstrous, and demonic in appearance, but they're actually the good guys. People who might be casually interested in Buddhism are often puzzled and even horrified by tantric Buddhist deities depicted as ferocious personas. And at first uh, exposure, they might almost seem demonic. You know, they, they have garlands or necklaces of human heads and multiple terrifying faces and oftentimes stepping on human forms. When Westerners first explored Tibet, they reported that Tibetans worship demons, which would make sense when first viewing these images. 
What else could they make of apparently horrifying forms more terrible than the actual demons of the Christian biblical hell itself? Actually, when I first encountered these images and the description of Buddhist hell realms, at first when I was studying in books and then in my initial entry into a Tibetan Buddhist Dharma center, I too was taken back. Why in the world would a spiritual practice have you focus on these horrifying and graphic images? What kind of spirituality is that? And is this like being in the Christian hell? Oh my, it was really enough to make me want to run the other way. And actually, when I was at the Dharma Center, I witnessed many like tours of people who wanted to come and see a Tibetan Buddhist center first take a glimpse of these tankas of these uh, wrathful deities and do a double take and look horrified and the, the color would drain out of their face and they looked as if they wanted to run the other way. But that exactly, my, my reaction that what kind of spirituality is this, that was the crux of the matter for me and my understanding. The so-called spirituality we want, we crave, we grasp onto is not what Buddhism is about. It is about seeing life as it is, seeing ourselves for who we really are, and by extension, all others for who they really are. When we see ourselves and others and life nakedly and real, it is only then that we can develop equanimity and then compassion for all, including ourselves. Until then, we're living among apparitions like those in the Bardo or those on Halloween night. So what I learned about fierce deities from my teachers are that the demonic or fierce appearance of these deities represent skillful means. The power of these tantric deity images is that they represent forces that help us transform our own shadow demons or actual uh, demonic entities if we believe in such a thing as real. A tantric practitioner who doesn't perceive these deities as the psychological shadow selves sees them as the embodiment of the negative karmas or emotions they help us confront and control. These protector deities help us remove obstacles out of our way as we practice. For example, there is a, a deity called Yamantanka. He's uh, the, called the slayer of death. It's arguably the most ferocious of all the wrathful deities and is considered a helpful practice for people with anger or hatred issues. At a higher level, Yamantanka is a form more terrifying than death itself, and by virtue of this, represents the very power that enlightenment has over death, in defeating death. Even Avalokiteshvara, the peaceful and wonderful Buddha of compassion, has his wrathful or terrible form, Mahakala, the great black one. Now, if this sounds a lot like Halloween, you're right. It seems if we go back to the Celtic tradition of Halloween, the custom was to dress up as 
ghosts, demons, and scary things. And if we apply that to the concept of the apparition seen in the bardo from our everyday Buddhist perspective, these scary apparitions are really nothing other than the aspect of our own self, our anger, our fear, our resentment, our judgment, our ignorance. Wrathful deities, hungry ghosts, hell realms, oh my! But these teachings point to the emptiness of external perceptions. In other words, what's behind the mask? If wrathful, demonic-looking deities are actually working for us, the good guys, they are like the nastiest-looking bad guy but good guy hero in the movies. You know the ones. There's tons of movies and TV shows about it. It's all. It's the one quietly working for the, the rights and the good of other, even though they're really kind of bad guys or scary guys. Let's face it. Who would you want to transform the bad guys or scary forces in your life into something positive? Mr. Bean, <laughs> the mild-mannered, bumbling character in the British sitcom who approaches everyday problems and challenges as if a child in a man's body? Would you want Mr. Bean to come in and disrupt the bad guys or scary forces in your life? Or would you want the Terminator? You know, I think sometimes it does take a Schwarzenegger-like figure dressed like a wild man, disheveled and scarred, carrying chains, knives, and other weapons, rather than a little child man in a suit, to change the direction of the behavior of a crazed gang of murderers and thieves, or the sometimes crazed thoughts and emotions in our own head, and then channel that aggression to compassion. These tough guys of Tantra are motivated by compassion. Their cause is bodhicitta, and the wrathful appearance they wear is an expression of skillful means. They help us confront our negative or non-productive emotions. And coming back to our Halloween theme, this transforming of emotional reactions demonstrates the emptiness of appearances. You know that eyeballs gorged out of their sockets? They're really peeled grapes, right? And brains falling out of skulls? It's really spaghetti. So what appearances are you hiding from? What appearance are you showing to the world that aren't really you? And what masks scare you? What do you see in this world that causes you fear, but is really like the coiled rope that becomes a snake when looking in the dark? Buddhist practice, the practice of seeing what is and not what you imagine things to be or would like them to be, effectively turns the light on. Then the rope is just a rope. And that person you dislike is really just a scared person like you. And she or he is acting out of fear. So, happy Halloween. Happy seeing things for what they are season. Boo! So, thanks again for all your emails. I hope you enjoyed this fun Halloween episode. <clears throat> thanks 
for your comments on my Facebook group. Please do, again, consider supporting the work of Everyday Buddhism through an ongoing or one-time donation at the Donate tab on the website, www.everyday-buddhism.com. And until next time, keep making your everydays better. But right now, enjoy the scary time.